This is Season 2, Episode 26 of the Faith Over Breakfast Podcast. Um, It's good to see you guys here. Uh, We just had a fun little podcast talking about stuff. Corey, um, you didn't even know you were going to be on the podcast. Totally improvised. Totally improvised. And Mark, did you know when showing up early you were going to be on the podcast? Uh, Yes. I did. <laughs> he had forgotten, but he did know. So anyway, we had a fun time. Thank you guys for offering what you offered. I, think, was... I thought Andy was going to be here. Oh, you thought Andy was going to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I will say, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Pastor Eric Seepin, and here I am without Andy, because uh, he doesn't like me. And so I <laughs> decided to take the opportunity to get two people who say they like me. Uh, Pastor Mark from the village and Pastor Corey from the village. We just happened to be having a elder day today. And so they said, or just showed up for the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. My expectation was just to listen, not necessarily to be on it. but Well, now you get to be on it. Thank you. And since your wife, Corey, is one of the most avid listeners who emails the show all the time and has ideas, this will be good for her because she'll get to hear her husband on the podcast. And now it's Faith Over Breakfast featuring Corey. Yes, featuring Corey. Great. Happy to be featured. (laughs) You are featured. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This may be a short podcast because, uh, anyway... So usually on the podcast, if you listen, which I know sometimes you guys listen to the podcast. Uh, yes. Yes, sometimes you listen. How often do you listen to the to this podcast? I have listened to maybe five or six episodes. I probably listen about half the time. Okay. So to all, you know, 75 of our episodes, you've listened to five of them. Right. Okay. Would you say those are older or newer uh, episodes? Um, I would say... Well, I listened to the mo- the two most recent. Oh, okay. And uh, a few over the last year or so. Oh, well, that's nice. Well, you know, when you get a chance, you could rate us on, you know. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll leave you a, a five-star review. Can you leave us a five-star review? That's great. So anyway, <laughs> if you listen or don't listen, we usually talk about uh, just the subject. We throw it out there, and then we go for it. It's usually something Andy or I have texted the day before. And then Andy gets mad at me because I did not respond to my text. We did not text. No, there is no texting. So we don't really have a topic. Well, I, I have, have a topic. A so so one of the things that I want to talk about, um, when I get a chance to talk about it, uh, when Andy's not around, is <laughs> sports. No, because <laughs> Andy hates sports. Sports and faith. Sports and faith and their relevance. No, um, so I was just thinking through the my last week and thinking about some of the things that people wrestle with and I kind of came up with a collection of of things Um, and I thought we could kind of talk about our approaches to dealing with those things in our own life and then how you know we can kind of help other people work through those things so um, one being the resistance to being exposed not to other people, like being vulnerable in front of other people is uh, one. 
the other one uh, I run into a lot is dealing with our anxiety. Like we uh, seem to be an anxiety-prone world, and it, everybody is wrestling with anxiety. Um, and the other one is how, as an adult with children, do you actually make friends, and what is a what does friendship <laughs> look like? In in you know what does real friendship look like in comparison to like you know, your bros or whatever when you were a teenager or in college? Like, what's been the evolution of that and how like, how do expectations change? So those are kind of, I mean, we don't have to cover all those, but that's sort of the, the three things that I ran into the last week and a half that I thought would, we could talk about. Um, Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the first one. Okay. So to be exposed, yes, and to be vulnerable, yeah, to be vulnerable. The, the like how difficult that is. How how do you make the choice to allow people to see you? Like, what's the benefit? Why do you do it? Well, I think the hope in exposing, you know, your sin or exposing your brokenness in a vulnerable way, you know, it it comes with a risk of rejection, and at least personally, my own my own story of offering myself vulnerably, you know, in my family of origin, you know, it often is met with rejection or some sort of shame wrapped around it. So I think offering yourself vulnerably to a, uh, a community that has committed themselves to loving you, you're, you're offering yourself in the hopes of receiving grace or acceptance, not receiving shame. Which can be just as painful sometimes. Right. <laughs> oh, and, and I, I like the word hope. It's not like a guarantee. Right. Right, because there's an opportunity for people to reject you or judge you. Um, so what, what is the benefit of it, though? Like, do you feel, like, what's been the benefit in your guys' life to, to opening up about things you're struggling with? Well, the, the benefit for me is, you know, it, it, puts an to, it puts an end to the festering, you know, that secrets or brokenness that's kept within it just it, it just is like poison and it's just something that just sits in the back of my mind and just rots you know that you know scripture says the truth will set you free but that's a hard thing to believe right because well the truth can also uh expose you in a shameful way right if if it's not a, if it's not offered to the right person or the right people right and can definitely be a rejecting experience or a being a judge, right? Risking feeling being judged. Mm-hmm. I think the the thing that I've seen in my life is that um, being vulnerable and and exposing those the, the like the darker, um, the harder the broke the broken places in my life. Um, actually sort of counterintuitively brought a lot of deep relationship like you like there's there's an expectation of rejection when you offer those things um so i spent like the first uh year and a half at the village really resistant and pushing back and kind of keeping a bunch of walls up and then god uh you know hit me over the head with a two by four um, and, and broke down those walls and then 
and then I found deep relationship with his community, and it really, um, where I had friends at the village before then, and I had a few smaller relationships, but then uh, it was like a, a, uh, like a flood of, of acceptance, and, and it was, um, it was really, it wasn't what I expected from what, from, from being exposed, and I, um, that's my, in my, in my story, that's sort of like, if you, uh, if you expose the things that are wrong with you, then you experience, um, like, discipline and, and, uh, loss of relationship. Yeah. And so, my, my experience when I actually fully committed to the community, and I, I think that's the, that's the, the, the piece that for me was really important in feeling like I could be vulnerable was actually feeling like, okay, I'm going to be here and I, this is going to be my community for as long as, as long as God has me here and I, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to push my way out, which is what I was trying to do before then. And so actually committing to a place was what allowed me to, to be vulnerable and um, open up. And then experience the the acceptance and the, the yeah. Grace. So you're saying that like an ownership of the community is really key for you to be vulnerable to it. Like you have to be willing to say, "I'm in the, these people are going to be my people." It, it enables you to open up to them at some level. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a scary place. I mean, that's the risk um, that Corey was saying is that like you could commit to a community and, and open up and be vulnerable and then experience the rejection. Right. And so like it's inevitably going to happen. Right. I mean, when you're vulnerable, even in a, in a safe community, people aren't perfect. So people are going to hurt you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to try to fix you. They're going to make judgments about you, you know, as to like how much maybe they can divulge about you or to you because you've offered the fact that maybe you're not trustworthy in a certain way or like these are these are ways of being you can get rejected so how do you handle like what what do you do when you're rejected in community like in a safe community like as safe as one could be like how do you think you handle how should you handle that what what do you do with that because that's what people are afraid of i mean that's what i'm afraid of if i say you know, and, and this happens to me, like, you know, I, when we started the village early on and I told everybody like, Hey, yeah, I, I struggle with lying and telling the truth and exaggerating. Well, that put everybody in the position of, well, they could question everything I say. And some do because I was vulnerable and said, Hey, like, this is the thing that I struggle with. So at some level I could be judged based on my own weakness. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the hardest place for me has been being vulnerable with someone um, who has then left the community. Mm. Um, like it, when when people stay in the community, there's there's often places to um, to meet in that rejection and and to actually engage with it and and talk about it and experience. I mean, I I had a whole conversation a couple of days ago about. Fixing, we fix, we try to fix each other. So, like, the conversation is is not like oh, how how 
what was that like for you? You know, what was what was your experience of that? But rather, oh, this is how you can fix that problem. And um, I forgot where I was going. But oh yeah, so like when you when you engage with that in community, there's still opportunity. Even even in the rejection, there's still opportunity to have grace and and to then offer that to the other person. So there's an opportunity to 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 offer them a space to be vulnerable in their rejection of of your own brokenness. Um, but then when they just leave the community. I think that's the place where it's been saddest for me and dealing with that space has been really painful. Hmm. Yeah. I don't believe that it's the obligation of the community to just welcome. Right. uh, And accept overwhelmingly and unconditionally people's brokenness. Yes. Because, you know, we, we hurt each other. We're sinful. We're sinful. And, Part of our sin is that we we just don't forgive each other, right. and we're and or we're really bad at it. Yes. But I do believe it's the obligation of the community to steer people towards Jesus, and Jesus can offer an unconditional forgiveness. No, yeah. no sin is is too great um, for Jesus to say. I think that is actually just too bad. Like you are too, <laughs> you are too bad because yeah, we're going to confess to each other in community. People are going to leave the the community and they're going to take our secrets with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's going to be really painful. But when they are in that community and, you know, of course there's the hope that if they leave our community, they'll join an, another one, another, you know, community of believers that when they were part of that community, our community, they steered us towards Jesus. unconditional forgiveness that can only come from God. And I think that's the, the, the important part of being vulnerable is acknowledging that even when we are vulnerable in community, we're, we're actually primarily being vulnerable with our brokenness and with our sin with God. Right. And so when we're in a community that loves Jesus and is pursuing Jesus, we, 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 are vulnerable with each other and we enter in and we, we expose the broken places, not because the other person isn't going to hurt us or not because the other person is going to offer us perfect grace, but because we've been offered perfect grace by Jesus and he calls us to confession in community. Yeah. And even a great offering of grace from a community is, is pretty poor. Yeah. Right. You know, it, you know, <laughs> we have, we have this thing at the village, uh, the, the healing chair and people will go and they'll sit and they'll confess their sins or they'll uh, talk about what is uh, ailing them and will pray. You know, people will notice somebody sitting in that chair and they'll pray. And, I, and what I've noticed is uh, sometimes I'll go back there and I'll say, I'm dealing with this addiction or I'm dealing with this sin and people will pray and it's just beautiful and it's like five minutes and we'll never follow up on it. Mm. And it's just like we prayed check the box next thing like it's lunchtime what let's all go eat mm. and it feels really good in that moment and even if it, we spent a year uh, you know or 10 years working it out together like it's it's still only a glimpse of what a true reconciliation with god can look like yeah it will be like 
So, so I guess that leaves me with the thing that I end up feeling like I wrestle with in my own life and when I sit with people, which is you and I are all tangible. Like, I can see you. I can walk over and grab hold of you. I can feel your bodies. Like, I know you're present. Where God's presence is, and sensing God's presence and understanding my, you know, complete, like, forgiveness in the presence of God and feeling and experiencing that is a difficult thing to help people enter into. And, you know, in the sense that, like, because God is, is, is a God who is invisible. His visibility is his church. Um, and and his spirit is poured out from his church and through us. So how do you, in your own life, connect to the grace of God and understand your complete forgiveness in God and operate on that? Like, how do you guys do that? Like, what does that look like in your life? I would say that's still a work in progress in, for <laughs> me. Perfectly. Imperfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do take steps. You practice things. Like, what are, like, important right. ways of making it tangible to you? Well, you know, I like to focus on narrative. You know, when I think about um, how to find God or how to feel God or see or have some sort of sensory experience, like, I have to think about my story. And I have to think about the story of others. Like, yeah, Eric, you're sitting right across from me. I can see you. I can sense you. But if I wanted to sense God, I would want to ask you about how you have experienced God, like where right. your story is that. So I think that's the practice is to remember parts of your story where God was present and apply that to the future. It's kind of like the, you know, a, a, a past orientation with a hope for a future orientation practiced in the present. I don't know if that was, a little bit obscure. No, I thought that was really good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I think on Sunday, um, I talked about prayer. Uh, um, we're going through Daniel and we're in chapter 9, and, and it's Daniel's prayer. And so I was talking about prayer, and, and one of the things that I try to practice when I pray is that I it's um, you begin with truth. And that it's truth that's not based in... in my own feeling or my own experience, but rather in in the word. So it's things that are true about God. And that actually, in my relationship with God, helps me root into this is what's true. This is what's true about God. This is what he says about me. These are good things. And then from there, I can enter into offering my own, my own vulnerabilities and my own... Um, doubts and and confess those kinds of things to god because i've i've already based myself in in what is true i can then freely offer the things that i struggle with Hmm. Um, and i think often we do that backwards we we offer the things that we're struggling with and we we talk about all the doubts that we have and then we're and then we go and we're like oh but you know god's good so i'm gonna be okay right and it's actually just kind of putting a, a band-aid over all the things that I'm struggling with hmm. um, instead of building a base of this is what's true about God. So a real practice about and orienting yourself in the truth of God as you're in the process of maybe feeling uneasy or just struggling with life or whatever is yeah. going on. And I think taking on a heart of gratitude. Mm, I so like that. Often... That truth, when 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 I'm 
stating that truth, it's it's about saying thank you for that being true. Yeah. So thank you that you are good. Thank you that you love me. Thank you yeah. that you sent your son to die for me. I confess that sometimes I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I struggle with this. And so since your sermon uh, over the weekend, we have been praying in our family in in that way. And we've also been thinking in that way, especially when, well, the worst times are like right before meals in my family, <laughs> because we all have, uh, uh, we all get hangry. <laughs> um, but instead of saying something like, I'm feeling irritated by you, which in some ways is a confession, we save that for the second step. And instead we say, we're all hungry, and I know that we love each other. Yeah. So we declare a truth about our family, and then we're like, wow, we really need to eat. And then we can figure out whatever issue we're trying to do, whether it's scheduling or whatever. Yeah. And it is just such a relief to start with truth and even to think about, well, yesterday at dinner, we were all hangry. And instead of trying to figure out our issue, we just ate first and we declared the truth of our love for each other. And it all worked out like that. That was a much better, a much better orientation. Yeah. And to remember that yesterday it worked out. Yeah. That now it can work out if we put this into practice and tomorrow it's probably going to work out. Yeah. Also. That's great. So not only thinking about where God has been and where God will be, but where the goodness in your life was and can be. Cool. That's cool. I like that. That's that's really, that's really fun. Um, You've also, the the last two parts of what your invitation was to um, offer a plea, you know, ask, ask God and then to praise him. And so we'll say like, you know, God, will you help us continue to have pleasant meals or will you continue to strengthen our marriage or our family? And then to say, yeah, God, you're committed and you're awesome. That's cool. That's a really cool practice. Yeah, I like that. And it's a way of tangibly connecting to God. Um, and one of the things that I have done is, is that's helpful, especially in facing like anxieties and vulnerability and, and dealing with some of these things and connecting to God is I... The stories of Jesus, I've really tried to visualize myself in. So, like, when I was thinking about, well, why do I be vulnerable? Well, like, I sit, I can visualize myself, excuse me, at the cross, and I can see Jesus just up there, bloody, and understand, like, he was vulnerable to the world. That's his invitation into vulnerability, which is a powerful thing. Or when I'm feeling anxious, I I will go, in particular, to the story of the woman caught in adultery, which is an extremely vulnerable experiences she had to be super anxious and sort of hear the protection of Jesus and the dignity he offers her and yet the very strong instruction to go forward and not keep doing what she was doing like to step into life in a good way um and those are visualizing and being part of like the crowd around Jesus or Jesus disciples has been really helpful for me to face things because those words then from Jesus become very much directed to me like I'm one of the people in the crowd I'm you know like when it comes to rejection and as I've wrestled through that, like Peter's rejection of Jesus, like I understand that Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected and have to be had it done to his face. And then, you know, at the end of John, 
he never says, hey, you know, when right before I got crucified and we were sitting around the fire and I've been, you know, as a captive and you said all these things, you said you didn't know me. Like, what's up with that? Like, let's, he just said, no, you need to take care of my sheep. Like, he just said, I love you. Like, he, I'm, I'm done with that. That's not, a, that, like, I forgive you for that. Like, we have to move forward. And I think that, like, that's what I feel like Jesus says to me a lot in the things that I'm, where I mess up. He's like, whatever, like, okay, what are you going to do right now? Like, how are we going to go do my mission? Like, that's a powerful thing for me in dealing with my anxieties. And, and I like, like, what you guys are saying, because it kind of all fills it out in a bigger picture of how to, how to do that. But, yeah, that's cool. I thought about sitting in the tree and being Zacchaeus and, like, wanting to see Jesus, but not feeling like I could actually go to him hmm. and then having Jesus come to me and say, Hey, I want to, I want to eat with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful. Cause I think, I mean, that's powerful to our, at least to, I think kids like me who grew up in the church who feel like we have to find Jesus. Like it's our job. Like we have to get it right and do it right. And, and Jesus is, we'll come and find you. You don't necessarily need to go find him. <laughs> Well, I mean, so much of my so much of my journey with the Bible as an adult has been actually putting myself in the place of um, not David, but like Saul, mm. and and not Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar, and actually mm. acknowledging that that like, I think I think we we often learn like the stories and the the, um, the heroes and and these are the cool things that happened, and but like. I always liked the story of Gideon and like these really cool things that happened. But then as an adult learning about all these things that happened afterwards where he just was an idiot and did these awful things and created an idol that snared his family and, and putting myself in that place rather than in the, in the first place and actually saying like, actually that's often where I'm at and how do I then get back to doing things for God and doing things for Jesus and removing those idols and, So that's a, you, have, you want some, something else? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, all the characters uh, in the Bible are just like us. You know, there are different seasons of life, and we we have times in our lives when we're we're solid in our faith. Things are, you know, our our hearts seem to be in a good place, and then we've got dark dark seasons too. So you know. It, it it wouldn't be hard for me to look back and find all the seasons of my own life where I, I, I was <laughs> idiotic, right? Um, but it's also it's both, yeah. And you know, yeah. I I within a day I can go from being an idiot and also just being humbled and connected and have my heart in a really good place. Yeah. So it's helpful to not just offer more of a polarized understanding of characters in the Bible. You know, I think about, I think I connect well with the apostles when they're, you know, in the storm in the, in the boat and they, they try to wake Jesus up and say, you know, we're in trouble here, man. You need to help us. You know, they're Jesus apostles. Like they're the chosen few. And yet they're freaking out. So they're both, you know, pretty, pretty grounded and also really anxious. Yeah. And, and and that's how I connect, really, is, mm. yeah, of course, like, I believe and I trust in God. 
And man, I just want to wake him up and say, help me, help me, help me. I, di- I don't believe you're going to help me because it seems like you're asleep right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's a powerful thing. Well, but, and that's anxiety, which was the second thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah, and I was going to end around it because I feel like we've we've talked about things that can help us face anxiety and wrestle with that. But it would be interesting just to kind of close out having a conversation about, because you guys are young parents, you have little kids. What's been like your understanding of the change of friendship from like when you were in your young 20s to now? You both are in your 30s, right? You're 30? I am. And you're 32. 32. Yeah. So you've had sort of, you've got to have the transition of friendship over over the years. Like, what's been your experience? Like, what do you consider a friend now that you would have not considered a friend before? Like, how um, how do you understand friendship now that's changed from when you were young? I remember, you know, being a a, a kid and calling a friend and saying, "Do you want to come over to play?" Yes. That was all that was required. Or just going outside and getting on my bike and just riding with whoever was also outside riding their bike. Right. Um, so the difference now is scheduling. <laughs> That's the big one. The thing to buy your friends to play. <laughs> scheduling. So it's like you call your friend up or now it's more texting. You know, would you like to come over and play? On the 15th of next month. <laughs> yeah. Which happens, I guess, to be tax day. So that's probably already not going to work. Right. <laughs> so usually it's, you know, I'm available next Thursday and the following Monday. And then we could go out like at 9 p.m. for a decaf coffee. So it takes this overwhelming intentionality and it's just exhausting. <laughs> so I consider a friend to be somebody that's willing to offer that intentionality. And not even if it works out. Like somebody uh-huh. texts me and never works. We never connect. Like, hey, that they're a good friend because they tried. Right. And that they can empathize with just how hard it is to schedule and actually make it work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the scheduling thing, like we had some friends who are in the community who were going to uh, buy a house down the street from us. And it fell through. And I was really sad. I still am really sad because I think I, I, it, there was a piece of me that was like, oh, like if they live three houses down the street and I, we're just hanging out at home in the evening and we don't have anything going on, we can just text them and be like, hey, are you guys home? And they can just walk over. And like, or we could, well, we couldn't walk over because we have, we have, the baby sleeping but they could like walk over and we could like hang out and and like play a game or something and then and it'd be really like this really simple like thing and then it it fell through and i was sad but i think that's like the where like in my 20s my early 20s i i lived with like four or five guys and you know it was like someone's always home to play a game or to watch a movie or and um and now it does take it takes a lot of scheduling and intentionality and there's uh i think there's like i i have a a friend who's not in not in the community and and he i've known him since third grade and about once a month i'll text him or he'll text me 
and we'll go get lunch. Um, and that's been a really fun thing to hold on to that friendship. Where when we were in middle school and high school, we got together a few times a week. And now it's it's like once a month or every other month. And it's this nice friendship that we still have. Hmm. Um, I think part of friendship is also just time. Quality is just spending time together and occupying each other's kind of mental space to to think that, Mark, you think about me when we're not hanging out. I think that helps define our friendship. Yeah. I, I had a, a lunch with a buddy uh, a couple of days ago, and we just talked about kind of random stuff. We talked about uh, walking through caves and camping and woodworking and it, it, we didn't say like, how's your heart or, or where is God moving in your life? It, it wasn't kind of this deep, um, spiritual conversation and it was really pleasant. Right. And, and I think part of friendship is, is to have both of those. Yeah. To just have time to, I, I mean, I remember being a little kid and, and having somebody come over to, to play and we play video games and you sit side by side and you just stare in parallel at a TV screen and like that's your friendship, is your video game buddy. Right. There's no face to face. And actually, I think that that's really valuable because you're occupying a, a proximity, a right. close space together, and you're doing something fun, doing something together, and that's okay. Yeah. The hope for me is that that's where it can start, and it can kind of grow into something where it's like, yeah, we are meeting for lunch, and you're saying, "How's your heart? And what's God right. doing in your life? How can I pray for you?" Can I watch your kids so you and your wife can go on a date? And there can be more of a, um, a reciprocity you know, right. back and forth. Yeah. Not a and transaction. a serving of each other. A serving of each other, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of friendship, it's, it's, you're right. I think about calling up and playing as a kid. Like, and Elliot was telling me as I was out the door, oh, can Owen come and spend the day on Saturday and then spend the night and we'll just bring him to church and go home then. And, like... That, that's his idea of friendship, going to somebody's house, hanging out. They're going to play video games. They're going to play ping pong. They're going to run around the neighborhood. That's that's what they're going to do. They're not going to have any deep talks about the meaning of life or right. anything like that. And I, as I've got older, I miss those because, you know, I have more of a serious relationships with people who I would call friends. But when I end up getting to play with people and I play with them and it's really fun and it, it builds on our relationship, but when I reflect on it, I'm like, yeah, I'd rather it be there be some more intention. I wouldn't want to live on playing three hours of ping pong, you know, every week. That no. that's not the kind of friendship I want. I would give that up for someone to speak into my life and to serve me and for me to serve them. Definitely. Even though I would miss playing a cool board game with them or playing ping pong. Well, and sometimes you need to just have a common interest, right? Just to to build. Get it going. Yeah. Well, I think it's an important element of play that as you get older, you miss out on because your play happens either with your wife or with your kids, and you don't get to necessarily have it with your your friends anymore because your kids take up that space. Or you just play with your friends. Like, the time you have extra is to go play with them, and that's all you do. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Also, friendship for me has changed. Like, you guys are, are my friends. Like, the people I, like, people I do ministry together have become my friends. The people who are... 
Like we have a, a purpose in the kingdom of God together to, to see people healed and point people towards Jesus. Like that's that gets exciting to me too, is that we are doing eternal things together. Um, it's a cool part of friendship. Yeah, and I think that as believers, that can often be our commonality. Yeah. That can be the thing that, that binds us together. I was uh, I, I took a, a retreat a couple of weeks ago and drove down with a, a buddy who he and I have very few things in common. And our conversation was just fascinating. And uh, I just love to, to hear about what made him think the way he thinks and believe the things that he believes. And we weren't trying to change each other's minds. And at the end, I mean, the retreat was all about God. And that is what our, our common interest was. Right. Yeah. And, we could have a friendship that we have opposing view. Like maybe our, our activity is to debate politics, which would have probably been a huge disaster. Yes. But at the end we would say, yeah. And, uh, we believe in a, in a God that rose from the dead. That's pretty cool. Yeah. See you next time, friend. <laughs> yeah. See you next time, friend. That's how I end all of my interactions. <laughs> See you next time, friend. Good to see you. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hear Rod driving up, so I think I'm going to end our podcast. All right. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, interrupt too much. Thanks, so, for, thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Um, so normally what I'll say is...